We're going to continue in Galatians. Good news today. We're going to finish chapter one. How about that? So I'm going to talk fast, and you're going to listen fast and write fast, and we'll get through that. We'll be in Galatians uh, chapter one, beginning in verse 11. It was a clear November day in Houston, Texas, in the year of our Lord, 1962, when a baby boy was born into the world. He was born into turmoil, into a very dysfunctional family, if you will. As he grew, he endured several family divorces, family affairs, an alcoholic stepfather, even an attempted kidnapping, complete with armed men. How about that? And physical abuse of himself, a sibling, and his mother. And yet, somehow, someway, God's gospel broke into his life, and he was miraculously saved by God. And now he is a pastor of Hoffmantown Church. <laughs> it's me. God saved my life, and I'm so thankful for that. It doesn't matter your circumstance, folks. It doesn't matter what might be going on in your life today. God's gospel can break into your life and can save you. And we're going to see today also and be reminded that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was also miraculously saved by God. We get a glimpse today of a little bit of his testimony, his autobiography, if you will, and how he came to receive God's salvation and be impacted by God's free gospel. Now, there's two tracks I want you to think about and keep remembering as we're going to read and look at this. First of all, you remember Paul had critics. He had accusers. He had those who viewed him skeptically. So Paul is sharing that, yes, he's very independent, but he's, he shares that the leaders in Jerusalem, their leaders, also supported his call and gospel. They confirmed, if you will, the legitimacy of his ministry. So that's a track we want to be thinking about. The second track is this. Remember, he's having to deal with, he's combating uh, false teaching, a false gospel that's come to these churches in Galatia. So remember that. Last Sunday, we left off with verse 10. Do you remember that verse? It's where Paul reassures the readers, the hearers, uh, that the gospel that... uh, that they received from him was an authentic gospel. Remember, verse 10 told us he was not pleasing people, but he was pleasing and serving God. And that's just a good reminder to start with today. Are we pleasing and serving God and not people? Let's pray. God, we're grateful today for the opportunity to just hear from your word recognizing that it is God-breathed, that your breath, your life is in your word, in the Bible, and you speak to us through it. And we ask that you would do that today, God. We ask that you would do that today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, here's a big idea for us to think about today, and it's this. God's free gospel came from God, and it changes lives. Therefore, Testify about it. Is that simple enough for us to think about? It, it, it's, it's from God. That's why it's the gospel. And it changes lives. So therefore, however we do that, let's testify about it. 
And I just want you to think about this morning. I want to thank those of you that are online this morning and would just ask you maybe to take a moment and share your stream. Maybe try to get some more people involved today. And so just share that with folks as you're listening as well. Let's read now from uh, verses 11 all the way through 24. Now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached to me is not based on a human point of view. For I did not receive it from a human source... And I was not taught it, but it came by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree. I tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But... Pay attention when you see that word, because he's like, forget about that. Let's look at this now. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia, of all places, Paul, Arabia? Yeah, look. I went to Arabia and then came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, that's Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I write to you, I'm not lying. God is my witness. Afterwards, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy And look at verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. So let's jump in and look at a few things today. The first one we find in verses 11 and 12, right where we start off this passage. And it's this. Paul is emphasizing something. He's emphasizing something about the gospel. He's emphasizing that it has a supernatural source. A supernatural source. Paul wants them. Who's them the, the Gentile Christians of this area, who he says are his brothers and sisters in Christ, he wants them to know this. And it's more of a reminder of what they already knew and been convinced. Remember, the, he'd already shared this before, but the false teaching had come in. So it's a strong reminder of this, that the, the, the gospel, the true free gospel of God comes from a supernatural source. It's a very interesting word because we, we get the picture of something being accredited or certified. Any of you in your work or your life ever had to have something accredited or certified? The rest of you sleeping. No, you're, oh, I see those hands out there. Yes. Well, sure, we know about that. We attend what? Accredited universities. Sometimes we have to pay a bill with what? A certified check. Wow. Even in New Mexico, did you know that there was a federal appeals court that had to rule in favor of protecting Hatch Chili? I say amen to that. 
you imposters, get away from us. Red or green? I say both, always, every day, right? Yeah. They ruled that it had to have a, a certification label. So those, go, go look in your pantry today. or If it's not Hatch Chili, just throw it out. It's from New Jersey or somewhere. I don't know. Okay, great. He wants them to know, but what? Literally here, when he talks about this here, he literally says, I want you to know the gospel gospeled by me. See, in the biblical language, he's using a play on words. He's grabbing their attention. It's a clever little device that he uses sometimes. He, he says, the gospel gospeled by me to you has a supernatural source. It's not from any person. It's in the present tense, which shows what? The free gospel has, it's continuous. It has permanence and has unchangeableness. It's not measured by mere human standards or rules. It's not human in its, in its character. He's making it very clear here about the gospel. Well, my question then is, so how can this be, Paul? How can this truly be what you are saying? And he's very clear. It's not conceived, but received. Now think about that for a minute. It's not conceived. It's not what he thought up in his mind. If anything, he never would have thought of this in his mind if you really study his biography, his past. But it is received. And so let's think about that just for a moment today. It, it's not from the human source. It's not taught it's not instructed, if you will, to him like it is for us today. Listen, today we have no excuse. We have the complete and full Bible that God has given us. God is creator of the universe. God is God. God is sovereign. God is fully capable of giving us his word how he wants it, complete to us, a revelation of himself and his love to us. So guys, we have no excuse today. Would you agree with that? How many of you got a Bible? All right. We got no excuse. We read it and, Paul, and, and, and God tells us what we need to know. Not so back then for him. So it came to him by the word is revelation. Did you catch that in, these, in, in verse uh, 12? Did you catch that? It's a revelation. It's from and about Jesus. Now, the word there is apocalypsis, or some would say apocalypsis. It's a biblical word, though uh, you can figure out a little bit about that from our English word, can't you? What it means is an uncovering. So picture an uncovering. Hopefully you saw your bride, guys, before the veil uncovered her, right? You, you knew who she was. But picture that. I guess what we would say today, uh, maybe in our vernacular, is it's like taking the lid off of the pot. You ever done that? You're cooking some. We're getting close to that time of year. Some good green chili stew, and you got the lid on the pot. But until you open it up and peer inside and see it and smell it and experience, you're not really having that revelation. That's the word here. God is, you might want to jot this down, God is making known what a man, a person, could not discover himself. Wow. Do you see the difference? 
Do you see how that works out? It can't be conceived. It's what God has put into motion. We can't conjure it up. Well, I want to talk about revelation for a minute. We've looked at the word a little bit. Think about lifting the lid off the pot. But it's important just to spend a moment thinking about revelation just for a minute. Scripture is clear, theology is clear, that there's two kinds of revelation. The first one being general, some people call it natural, and the second one being special. Have any of you heard about that? General revelation is creation, groaning, creation sharing and declaring the glory of God. But in general revelation, not his name. The glory of God, there must be a creator, but not his name. But then we get to special revelation, and that's what we have here today. It is scripture. It is from and through the prophets, the apostles, the writers. It is exclusively in the Bible. Now stay with me. This is important for us to know. It is exclusively in the Bible. Let's just do a quick, just one reference. If you want to turn to Psalm Psalm 19 real quick. Psalm 19 is broken up into general revelation and special revelation. And I'm just going to read fast. And you take a look at the first six verses of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a groom coming from the, to the, from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So see, no one has an excuse when it comes to general revelation. Everyone, God has placed eternity in our hearts, Scripture says, and everyone has the opportunity to think, hmm, something must be going on here. Something, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. But then we get to the special revelation, and we take a look at that. Let's, I, I won't read the rest of the chapter, but let me at least read the first few verses, seven and following, and you're going to get an idea of what special revelation is. Look for words that are synonyms to the Bible, okay? Here we go. The instruction, I'll give you a hint. That's the first one you want to note. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The commandment of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. And we could go on and on if we had time and look at that. But that gives you just a little look at general or natural revelation and special revelation. Now that's important. File that away because we're going to talk just a little bit more in a minute about revelation. But I, I want to give you a little more of, of Paul's testimony. So I'm going to give you some homework. Are you ready? This is so I don't preach an hour. I thought I would get so many amens this morning. <laughs> that was the one shot I had. You guys, man. All right, preach, but less than an hour. Yes, I understand that. You might want to jot this down. More of Paul's biography, more of his 
testimony, write down Acts chapter 9. Just jot that down. That's some homework for you. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and following, and you'll see the story of Saul and the Damascus Road. Very important for you to look at that as you're, uh, as you're pondering this sermon uh, this week. Another one, Acts chapter 22, start in verse 3 and go on for a, way, a ways, and you'll see more about the Damascus Road experience that he had, his testimony. And then finally, one more homework, got to come in threes, right? Acts chapter 26, right in the middle, it's a great chapter, but right in the middle, verses 12 through 23, you get even more about Paul and his testimony. That, that will save us some time today if you'll just study that and take a look at that. Now, there's one more thought in this section I want to give you before we conclude, and is this. Almost to a person, almost every conservative scholar, and I'm sad that I have to say conservative scholar, but you have to these days because there's folks who aren't conservative scholars. In fact, I'm not sure if they're really scholars, but they know more stuff than I do. They just don't know the right things, maybe. But almost to a person, every conservative scholar believes that God's special revelation is complete, hear me, is complete and is contained in the Bible. Drop the mic. That's important to know. I want you to, to catch that, all right? When it comes to God's special revelation, here it is. It's all contained. It's complete in the Bible. And I want you to know I believe that just like those scholars that do. It's, it's very important that we believe it. Now, I'm not talking about interpretation. I'm not talking about studying and, 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 and God speaking to us and all that. But I'm talking about you can't pull something out of left field these days and put it into practice and say this is a direct revelation from God. And put it on level with Scripture. Church, are you catching this? It's important. One of my responsibilities is to proclaim that to you and make sure you understand that. There are different groups and people out there today that would say, oh, but let me add this. Oh, but let me give you this, which takes away a chunk of Scripture. It can't be done and be truth. God's revelation is complete and contained in God's word. And you've heard me say it before and you'll hear me say it again. I believe that God is sovereign, that God is big enough, that God, the creator of the universe, that God who has made us his image bearers is more than capable of giving us a Bible in our language that is complete. And there it is. Now, we spend the rest of our lives studying it, don't we? Of trying to apply it to our lives. So don't go looking for something else. Look to the Bible. Why is that important? Because there's things in the Bible that Lamar really doesn't like very much. Anybody? Is there anything that's ever convicting to you? Is there anything that you just go, I just don't quite understand that? Like in John 14, when, when Thomas is saying, Jesus has made it all clear, and he's going to prepare a place. And he goes, Lord, we don't know the way. You ever like Thomas? I am. But that doesn't change the fact that it's Scripture, that it's God's truth, that it is, it's God's gospel. All right, I could stay on that all day. Whew. I feel so much better, church, being able to get that out. Can you get that out as well as you're sharing? I, family members, friends, they're going to give you some of this stuff, and it's like a revelation from somewhere else, and great, but it's not God's revelation. 
to mankind. Do we recognize the supernatural source of the gospel? And the more important question is, have you been saved? Have you heard the gospel? And have you been saved? I want you to think about that for a minute. We have a sin problem. We've all missed the mark. God has a solution. Aren't you glad? He's holy God. He can't have anything to do with sin. But he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died on a cruel cross for you and for me. Did you catch that? For me, for you. And he offers the free gospel of grace to us that Paul is dealing with here, that Paul is strongly proclaiming. And it's the same today as it was in his day. Almost 2,000 years later, it's still the same. God is in the business of seeking and saving the lost. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We ought to write a song. Oh, wait, <laughs> that's already been, John Newton took care of that centuries ago. But I ask you that question. Hmm. None of this matters if you've heard and not believed and repented and received. Well, let's move on. We're going to quickly go through verses 13 through 21 and get through some of his autobiography. Paul is filling in some more details. In verse 13 and 14, I won't read it again, but he's talking about his life before Christ. His former life, he calls his former life of Judaism. Now, what does that mean? It means he had a life of rigid ritualism. It was based on salvation by good works, not by Jesus dying on the cross, it's not even acknowledging Jesus as Messiah. It's good works. Remember this. I want you to listen closely. Paul was saved not in Judaism, not by Judaism, but from Judaism. And the same, I don't know what your ism is. I don't know what your life experience is. I don't know how you grew up. I told you a little bit at the beginning about how I grew up. Listen. We're saved from all that. We become what? A new creation. We're new creatures when God saves us. And the old has passed away. And what has come? The new, the abundant life, life with Christ has come. And so uh, Paul knows none of this. He goes on to talk about how he persecuted God's church. Again, continuous action. Literally, that word gives us the picture of pursuing an enemy. Can you picture that? Chasing down a criminal. So picture you're the police officer out on the beat, and there's a criminal, and you've got to chase him down. Maybe you've seen, I like those kind of movies and shows. Maybe you've seen those, all right? But that's, the, that's how active this word is. Uh, scripture tells us also that Paul ravaged the church. He was continually trying to destroy it. Now, Paul also lets us know a little bit about himself and his mind and everything. Paul, amazing mind that God gave him, I believe. Try to read the book of, the Roman, book of Romans straight through and just get it all. Good luck. It's amazing. And he talks about how he's the prized student of Judaism. A brilliant student we know of Gamaliel. Um, I learned in seminary um, something about him when I took a class about him. And there's a theological term for, for Paul and his brilliance in Judaism. 
It's smarty pants. <laughs> Do you know when I say that? What I'm talking about. Paul, in his whole way of life, was a smarty pants. He was the son of a Pharisee. And he enjoyed all this stuff from his ancestors, which also gives us another idea that he was not, Paul of all people was not open to human witness. It was a profound miracle that Paul was converted by the gospel of God. You would say of all people, do your homework, you'll see, of all people for God to break through in life, you would not have thought of Paul, but it gets better. In verses 15 through 17, he talks about his conversion and calling. And he makes it clear, if you read those three verses, it was God. Paul shares something that's just totally astounding here. It's that before birth, before he was a twinkle in his mama's eye, before he's even in the womb, that God has a plan for Saul. Isn't that interesting? He was called not because of anything he had done. This calling happened before he even had the ability to do anything physically or with his mind. God's grace flooded into his life. And it says that God was happy to do it. You might want to under, underline that word in your scripture. God was pleased to do it. God was happy to do this. We need to remember this, church. God is pleased to save people. We need to get over the fear and quit worrying so much about, well, that person may not like me. They may bite my head off. They may not receive it. Listen, that's between them and God. But every time we share, every time someone is converted, every time new life comes to someone, God is pleased to do it. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't do it, well, you dirty, rotten sinner, I guess I'll do it for you. No, he's pleased to do that, just like with Paul. And Paul says he's set apart. Before he started life, for what? This is so specific. To be the preacher of the gospel to what people group? What does it say? The Gentiles. Basically everybody else besides the Jewish nation there. How about that? It is a revolutionary assignment. It is an assignment that has never been given before, and Paul gets it. Now, after his conversion, we read on and see that he headed to Arabia and then back to Damascus instead of going straight to where the early church was beginning to be formed in Jerusalem. Why? Why do you think Paul did that? I believe Paul did that because he needed time to think. He needed time to be alone with God. We need that as well, don't we? Do you have time alone with God? Do you have time when you can slow down and just be with God? Be alone with God? You see, Paul needed to totally rebuild his theological structure. It's all blown out of the water. Everything he had done up to that point before he's saved, before he's called, is, is gone now. So he needs a new structure, and it needs to be based on God's Word, led by God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaking to him through the Word. Maybe right now you can think of the book of Romans beginning to percolate in his mind during that time as he's alone with God, as he's studying 
Really, as scholars would say, it's the gap between Acts 9.25 and Acts 9.26. So Paul shares with us some things there. I want to give you a statement I want you to think about as we think about being alone with God. Because I don't want all of you to run out and become monks. I don't want you all to cloister yourself. I don't think that's what it is. And it's this, solitary time with God is fundamental to the Christian life. Would you buy into that? Would you believe that? It's fundamental to the Christian life, but the Christian life is not a solitary life. We've got to get out and share. Well, let's finish up with his autobiography, verses 18 through 24. In 18 and 19, we see quickly that he's meeting Peter. Now, he's independent of the Jerusalem apostles. Remember those critics arguing about whether he's an apostle or not? So he's independent. But what does he do? He does something interesting. He does get to Jerusalem, and he meets with Peter. Why? To seek accountability and unity. And both of those are so needed in the Christian life. And I want to just remind us of that. We need to meet and we need to be together and we need to have folks in our life, Christians, that give us accountability. And we, as individual Christians, need to seek unity. I did not say uniformity but unity. We need to be willing to do that. As a good example, Paul uh, risking it and going to Jerusalem and being with Peter. And then it also says during that brief visit that he also met and, and sees James, brother Jesus. Now, why is that important to mention? James had become a big shot already at the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. He was the moderator of the Jerusalem church. And so Paul is there doing that. I think that's a humble thing that he's doing for accountability and for unity. And then he says something crazy in verse 20. He's wrapping this up and he says, Now in what I write to you, I'm not lying and God is my witness. It's as if he's saying, so help me God. This is true. He continues in this way to state his case for his apostolic independence. He's showing that he's not a secondary apostle. He's not dependent on others for his message. Remember? Where did it come from? Direct revelation from God. Note the stark contrast between Paul saying, I'm not lying, so help me God, God is my witness, and the contrast of the falsehood of these Judaizers that we're going to be hearing more about in the weeks to come. And then he says in verse 21, he kind of has a little mission trip, so to speak. He heads to Syria, Cilicia. Acts 9 will tell us that Paul's life was in danger, and he had to head away. So he heads back towards home, actually. He's from Tarsus, so he's heading back towards home. But now something's different. He's a new creature in Christ. It's a period of preaching for him for several years. So let me just wrap it up in this way. I'm going to talk fast, so I'm going to read, listen closely. Paul is raised as Saul in Tarsus, Acts 21. Also in Acts 21, we're told he's a Roman citizen. In Acts 22, we're told he's the prized student of the famous rabbi. He studied in Jerusalem. Philippians 3 tells us he's of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, he's a Jew of Jew. Acts 23, he's of the sect of the Pharisees. He's originally named Saul, probably after King Saul. He probably had a wealthy father. And then in Galatians 1, we see here he's advancing as a leader in Judaism. He was zealous for the Jewish traditions. He set out to destroy the church of God. 
And then in Acts 9, we see he's even given, he was given authority by the chief priests to murder Christians. This is Paul. Wow. And yet, God's gospel broke through, and Paul began doing the things God had planned for him before birth. Let's just camp there for a second. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, we know that, don't we? For by grace are you saved through faith. God gives that to us. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It's a free gift from God. It's not of works. It's not what we've done. Why? So we can't take credit for it. And again, I want to ask you, has God saved you? It's not about a baptismal certificate. It's not about church membership. It's not because you're viewing uh, this service online or you're here in person or you have a Bible or your mama was this or your grandpa was that. It's not about any of that. Has God saved you? He's drawing you to his side. He's giving you the faith to respond and repent. Now, we forget Ephesians 2.10, don't we? A lot of us memorize 2, 8, and 9, but why don't we memorize verse 10? Think about it for just a moment. It goes on to say, we're the workmanship of God. We're God's work. And he created, this is my translation, he created stuff for us to do before time began. He created good works for us to do. So if God has saved us, then we, like Paul, now, we're not going to be the preacher to all the Gentiles, okay? But God has customized a calling in each one of our lives. Have you discovered that yet? He, he planned that because he's God. I don't understand it, but he's, he planned it before we ever were even walking on this earth. Are you doing the things he planned for you to do? Well, let's look at 22 through 24 and wrap up this morning. Paul reflects on the impact of gospel transformation. If you don't get anything else today, would you please get that? The gospel, the free gospel of God, transforms life. Exhibit A, Saul, the murderer of Christians. Exhibit B, the little Houston boy who's now a pastor. Exhibit C, you guys, think about it for a minute. Let me ask you this this morning. Do you consider yourself an unknown? I've had people tell me that before. Well, you know, I'm not this guy or that guy. Well, I, I'm just kind of behind the scenes, or I'm just a nobody here. You know, I just live out here or there. Any, you ever heard that before? Let me ask you do you know the names of Edward Kimball? Who went to high school with Edward Kimball? Anybody? I don't think you did. <laughs> Trick question. How about Mordecai Ham? Now, you might know this name, D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody. It has been said of D.L. Moody that he is thought to have led as many as a million people, catch this, a million people to confess faith in Christ. And among his many achievements in his life and ministry, you've heard of it, the Moody Bible Institute. Yet, he came to salvation because of his Sunday school teacher. And he was long gone from the class, but this Sunday school teacher kept on him and kept contacting him and kept sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and was there when D.L. Moody, of all people, 
was converted, was saved. His name, Edward Kimball. Now, maybe you've heard of Billy Graham. Anybody? Perhaps the greatest evangelist of all time. It has been, those that are math guys, I guess, it has been estimated that Billy Graham preached the simple gospel, whether live, TV, recordings, everything, to up to 2.2 billion people. How's that? We might have to add on to the building if we had that many, huh? Wow. Billy Graham was saved in a revival meeting conducted by an evangelist named Mordecai Ham. Don't consider yourself an unknown. When the simple free gospel is shared, people are converted. I don't know how else to explain it. Every time I hear about it, whether it's here in Albuquerque, whether it's up in Aztec, whether it's in the United States, whether it's back in Paul's day or whatever across the world, when the gospel is shared, people are converted. That's just how God works. Again, we don't save people, but we help tell the story. We testify. Even as Paul does, we give our testimony, and what happens? God moves in people's lives. Think about this as you look at verses 22 through 24. Verse 23, he, he, he said in 22, he's personally unknown. The quote-unquote Christian churches, if you will, the Christian Jewish assemblies that had already begun, and they don't know who Paul is. But he says this, they simply kept hearing this. He, talking about Paul, who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. The word gets out that the destroyer of the early church was now preaching Jesus. You see, the gospel is truly transformational. And there is, a, if you look at verse 24, there's this continuous, ongoing glorifying of God because of his preaching. They're not glorifying Paul, they're glorifying Paul's God. Did you catch that? I have trouble with some guys who preach a false gospel in their $2,000 suit. I'm jealous of their hair. I, I, I'm losing mine. And people accept them. But they're accepting them, not God. You see, they're glorifying that person or maybe that organization or even that ministry, but they're not glorifying God. They, they were glorifying Paul's God here. And I think it's interesting to note the attitude of those that Paul had tried to exterminate, right? These Christians, their attitude, they're glorifying God now. It's much different than the hatred and the antagonism of the Judaizers who should have known better. So I ask you today, what's your attitude? Is it one of glorifying God? What does it mean to glorify God? I like Chuck Swindoll. I don't know if you do, but I like him. Here's what he said. To give glory to God is to believe in him and to regard him as the only wise, righteous, merciful, and almighty God. It means acknowledging him as the source and the donor of every good and perfect gift. It is to be the chief aim of Christians. I like that. Are we glorifying God? Are we recognize he is the only God, the only almighty God, and he is the source to everything that is good and gracious 
That's something we should share. What do you guys think? Paul is sharing his testimony, does it in Acts and other places. And I think he's a good example. Our testimony can be a powerful witnessing tool. And I encourage you to use that. Why do I say all this? Well, as we've studied this morning, the gospel, God's free gospel, is true because it comes straight from God and because it changes, it transforms lives. Let's pray. God, I'm just going to leave it here this morning to leave your word in our lives and ask that, God, you would work in our lives. God, that you would move through our lives, that you would encourage us, that you would shine a light in our life and show us where you want to chip away and change us, where you want to mold us more like you. And so, God, I pray today for for folks who are listening that have not yet been saved. God, I'm so grateful that it pleases you for the lost to be saved, that it pleases you for those who are saved to begin to understand and follow your calling on their life. And thank you, God, that you customize it for us. Thank you, God, that I don't have to try to fill Billy Graham's shoes. God, help us just to be ourselves, saved Christians who you've called us to work and serve in the kingdom of God. God, remind us today that your gospel transforms lives. And I pray for those today who are pondering that, that they might take that step of repentance and turn from sin and life and turn to you and ask for your forgiveness and ask that you would save them and that Jesus would be Lord, would be the boss, the master, the controller of their life. God, I ask for that. And I just thank you for transforming me and many in this room today. And we're grateful for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.